Let's turn over to Acts chapter 3. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Acts chapter 3, 19 through 21. I'm going to share it. And then tonight what I'm going to do is share with you some things I felt like the Lord shared with me this week that uh, brought clarity to me uh, as it relates to this issue of revival uh, in a way that I've, I've never had before. Um, I've been a, and I use this term loosely, but I've been a student of revival for, uh, you know, about, about 10 or 11 years um, and just read lots and lots of books on it and articles and just studied the historical stuff and um, had, the, had the opportunity to, to give leadership to a little visitation that happened in our youth ministry when I was a youth pastor um, in 2001, 2002, and the presence of the Lord came. And, and uh, you know, revival, uh, it's a phenomenon when heaven uh, invades a place. The phenomenon of the presence of God comes into that place, and it's not, it's not a, uh, an evangelistic effort. It's not um, something that we, you can plan um, you know, in Arthur Wallace's book, uh, In the Day of Thy Power, he said, you know, you cannot plan revival any more than you can, you know, plan like a, a lightning storm, you know. And, uh, but, but by the same token, you can look for it, and you can set yourself to get in the way of it. And uh, it, just as you can't plan it, it also doesn't hit an unprepared people like a bolt out of the blue, <laughs> which is what Arthur Wallace said as well. And and I'm, I'm touched with something right now, this swirl that's going on with what's happening in Lakeland. And, uh, and if you don't know, uh, I'll just give you the brief synopsis. Uh, in Lakeland, Florida right now, there's, a, there's an outbreak uh, of the presence of the Lord where um, they've been meeting every night now for uh, just over 40 days. And um, they're having um, dramatic healings and uh, salvations is happening. And it's breaking out in a unique way in that uh, it's going through the media right now. And it's, so they're televising it on the God channel, on God TV. And then people are getting healed all over the world actually watching the uh, t- television casts of this, this outpouring. And um, I've talked to several. I'm going to go down there for a few days uh, sometime next week. But... Uh, I've talked to several that are involved in the team. I have a very good friend, Jim Drown, who's actually on the, the team, and, and, and I've talked to him. And I've talked to skeptical people. I've talked to not skeptical people. I've talked to, you know, people that loved it and, and um, people that had, you know, question marks about it. And uh, what, I don't know what it is exactly, but uh, God's doing something there for sure. Because I know for sure you can't just say, hey, we're going to, if I told you we're going to meet for the next 40 nights, you know, the eight people that were trying to, you know, earn my favor would show up, you know, about day three, we'd all be done with it. And, uh, and so you just, and so what happened was the thing started off with about 700 people and now they're having crowds of about 10,000. They're out in some open field at some airport. You know, and, um, and so uh, something's going on. The Lord's doing something. So that deal ricocheted and has hit Fort Mill, South Carolina, where Morningstar Ministries is, and Rick Joyner. 
and they're going every night, and they've been going every night for about two and a half or three weeks, and they're having signs and wonders and miracles and healings and salvations. And so some, God is stirring the pot right now. And I, I want to give um, what I believe is a prophetic commentary. I feel like the Lord spoke to me about it. Uh, and I want to just read a verse or two, and then I want to tell a few stories and hopefully get us on the same page as it relates to this issue of revival. And I just want to say this. For me to talk about revival, it's like talking about my firstborn son. It's like talking about my, my marriage or something. I mean, it is, it is precious to me. It's something I've labored for uh, continually for uh, the last 10 or 11 years. All right, Acts 3, and I really hope I can get this out clearly because I just feel sort of strange tonight. Am I the only one that feels a little strange? Anybody feeling strange in the Lord tonight? Amen. Okay, good. God's moving everywhere. Hands moving. Okay, good. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That phrase, times of refreshing, is the closest phrase we have in the New Testament that talks about revival. The, uh, the Greek terms, times of refreshing, it's kairos and apsuxis. Kairos means an appointed time, a, spe- a specified time in God's calendar where God says, I have ordained this time. And anapsuxis means a recovery of breath, a recovery of breath. And so it's the closest terms we have in the New Testament that talk about appointed times of revival by the Spirit of God. And he says, repent and be converted your sins may be blotted out, that there would be appointed times that that are already in the calendar of the Lord, but these appointed times of recovery of breath and new life and refreshing would happen in your life and in your midst and in your communities. And see, what I want to point to is this. God has in his heavenly calendar, he has times that he has ordained. He has seasons that he is sovereignly ordained, and he said, this is the season that I've had in my mind. And who really knows the mind of the Lord? So for the spirit of the Lord. But he gives us his spirit that we can know the things that are freely given to us. Isn't that right? But God's got a calendar. He's got times, so he must have a calendar. He must have a timetable. And he's got in his mind times that are appointed for visitation, for breath, to be released into the heart of his church, that his church would come alive with new life and new breath. And we call those seasons revival. We call those seasons renewal and refreshing. And I am so touched by what's happening in Lakeland. I, I'm just excited that something's happening. You know, it's, it may not be a big that. You know, I, I think we get in the habit of calling every little this that, you know, uh, uh, you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
I think we get in the habit of calling every little this a that. And maybe it is a that and maybe it isn't a that, but I don't really care if it's a this or a that or a what or a who or a him or a not. I don't really care. God's doing some stuff. People are getting healed and delivered and set free. I saw a young lady on the television uh, last night or the night before, and uh, she was, they said she was a total uh, mental, uh, she was in a vegetative state, couldn't laugh, couldn't cry, and this girl, and she couldn't move, she was just, she was just a, like in a zombie state. This girl, now she wasn't 100% right, but she was walking on the platform, she was able to run, she was smiling and laughing. And she came out of, out, of ve- uh, out of a vegetative state. And I believe, I'm believing God is going to completely heal her. And uh, it's exciting what's going on. I, you know, it's just, it's just a stirring. God's stirring the waters. And so I think that it's possible that it's what ha- what's happening in Lakeland is an appointed time on God's broader scal- uh, scale calendar, on, bro- on God's broader plan, his broader timetable. If it is great, if it isn't great, but I, what I want to do for us is I want to paint a picture, a broad picture of God's blueprint for revival at the end of the age. And I'm going to tell you, this week the Lord filled in some blanks for me that I didn't have before, and it caused my heart to come alive and be buoyant in a certain way, and I'm excited about what's going on. So I want to tell you a story. Some of you will know this story because it's on the uh, prophetic history CDs out of Kansas City. And uh, some of you won't, so I'm going to do my best to explain it. Mike Bickle, in 1984, they had, they had gotten several dramatic prophetic words that there was a global revival, a global youth mi- uh, uh, movement getting ready to happen, and that God was going to break out in global revival through this young adult uh, and youth movement, and it would have night and day prayer as a main facet of it. And, uh, and so Mike was laying in his bed one morning, and he woke up and he said, Lord, how long, how long, God, till that happens? When is it going to be? And I'm, I'm going to say, if the Lord had spoken to me and said, hey, you're going to be involved in a global, you know, and he confirmed it with all these things, a global youth movement and, and signs and wonders and power and revival all over the earth. If God had spoken that to me, I'd be asking the same question. Lord, how long? When's it going to be? And he said in those days that that became his main question. Lord, how long? When is it going to be? How long? When is it going to be? So he woke up that morning in 1984 and uh, he's laying on his bed, and he said, Lord, how long? How long will it be? And he said, the audible voice of God thunders to him while he's laying there in his bed. God speaks audibly, and he hears it with his ears, not internal, but out there. He said it sounded like a, a rolling thunder from a distance. And, and I know a little bit about this. I've had one audible voice in my life. It sounds like it's far away and close in front. It sounds like it's bef- on, in front of you and in back of you and all around you and way out there and right here all at the same time. And, and he said, and the Lord told him one thing. Now, he tells him this very strange thing, but he says, call Bob Jones. You kind of think if the Lord was going to tell you something cool from, you know, heaven, that he wouldn't tell you to call somebody. You think he'd say, you know, let me fill you in on what Melchizedek really is, you know. It's not really like that. God knows our frame, and he just speaks to us in ways that make sense to us. So the Lord speaks audibly to Mike, and he says, call Bob Jones. And, uh, and so Mike calls Bob Jones. Now, Bob Jones is a prophet. And, uh, and Bob Jones has had an encounter with the Lord. He's gone into a trance and received revelation from the Lord. Now, before you get freaked out, in Acts chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Peter went into a trance. So trances are biblical. 
And Bob Jones has had a biblical trance where the Lord has downloaded uh, revelation upon him regarding the end of the age. And Bob Jones begins to tell Mike, he said, the Lord took me into Joseph's dungeon. And if you remember the story of Joseph in the dungeon, there was the cupbearer and the baker. And they were in the dungeon. And, uh, and, and the Lord speaks to Bob and uses the parable of Joseph's dungeon. And he begins to tell him about the revival at the end of the age. And he said, I'm going to lift up the cupbearer, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring judgment to the baker. And the only reason a cupbearer and a baker would be in, thrown in jail, uh, they were the cupbearer cup bearer and the baker of Pharaoh. The only reason why they'd be thrown in prison is because there's poison. There's an accusation of poison. Somebody's trying to poison Pharaoh. And so, uh, you know, in the story, the baker, he gets, he gets busted, and the cupbearer gets restored. And the Lord says, I am going to raise up the ministry of the cupbearer, at the end of the age. And Bob Jones understands that the Lord said, I'm going to use wine. And he speaks some more things to him while he's in this trance. But essentially the idea is this. God says, I'm going to start the end time revival. And I'm going to start it with the ministry of wine. I'm going to raise up the cupbearer, the one who pours wine. I'm going to use that in the earth. And so Mike said, great. So, so When's it going to happen? When's the, when's the wine going to start? And he goes, you know, wine is not really my thing, but I'm in for anything. Just tell me when. And he said, it'll start in 10 years. And Mike's 28 at that time. It's 1984. And he can't, you know, 10 years to a 28-year-old, it might as well be 25 years. It might as well be 60 years. He goes, how could it be? No, that's the worst news ever. I'm thinking like this year. And they've had so many prophetic things and and so Mike's a little disturbed about it. And then Bob Jones begins to relay how this thing is going to actually go to uh, the stadiums. This end time revival is going to end up with uh, thousands and thousands of youth marching to the Arrowhead Stadium, which is in Kansas City. And it's not going to be just there, but it's going to be all over the earth. And there are going to be signs and wonders and miracles and power. But it's going to start with wine. And he said it's going to come in the reverse order that it's in uh, the book of Acts. So just flip over to Acts chapter 2, because you remember on the day of Pentecost, which by the way, isn't it interesting, today is the day of Pentecost. Today is the day of Pentecost, today is a global day of prayer, and it's Mother's Day. Sounds like a good day to give birth to something. So in verse 2, it said, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And then they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, Flip on down to verse 13. They end up going out in the street. And others mocking them said, they are full of new wine. So we get wind. And then we get fire. And we get wine. And Peter responds. He says, hey, they're not drunk as you think they are. You know, it's, it's early in the morning. He goes, they're full of the Holy Spirit. So they're, not, they're drunk, but they're not drunk the way you think they're drunk, is the idea. And it comes with wind and fire and wine. And so Bob Jones tells Mike, he says this, he says, it's gonna, the end time revival is going to start with wine. God's going to add to it fire, and then he's going to add to it wind. Wind. 
Now, the wine is a symbol of refreshing and renewal, and it makes the heart light and glad before the Lord. The, uh, the fire is the conviction of sin and holiness and, and falling in love and abandoning all other lovers. That's the fire. And then the wind is representative of, of the uh, supernatural dimension of God, the power of God on display and manifestation uh, in, in mighty acts and, and, and supernatural wonders. And so he said it's going to start in 10 years, and it's going to start with wine. So they, they watched it very carefully in Kansas City. They watched the, that word. And, you know, 10 years later, January of 1994, uh, the Lord hits this little church in Toronto, Canada, at the end of the runway of the airport there, Toronto Airport Vineyard. And they are, the main thing that's happening there is people are getting drunk in the Holy Spirit. And so the, the wine actually begins to get poured out just as Bob Jones, as the Lord told Bob Jones, 10 years later. And it actually happened in two different, real, really two different streams. It happened with Rodney Howard Brown in Florida in 1993. And that spun over into Toronto in 1994. And those, those moves of the Spirit end up touching, I mean, the world. They literally touch the world. And, uh, and it's wine. And, and, you know, Mike's commentary, when they saw that thing happen, they go up there and they're, you know, they look at this thing and it's like, man, this is not our style at all. I mean, people are rolling on the floor and laughing and making animal noises. And it's just a little strange. And, you know, uh, you know, it's just, it's not palatable. It's, you know, they want fire. They want salvations. You know, they want conviction and apostolic preaching and people getting cut out of chairs because they're groaning because they're convicted of sin. And, and basically people are falling down and rolling around and laughing their heads off. And, you know, the, the commentary is this, is, this is not really what we were hoping for, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, Paul Cain, the Lord speaks to Paul Cain, who's another prophet at that time. And he tells me, he says, this is my will. It's not my main menu. He says, but this is the hors d'oeuvres. And I'm introducing the end time move of God with wine. And, and the Lord uses wine. And he says the reason why he wanted to use wine is because he wanted to offend men's minds in order to reveal their hearts. He wanted to deal with people who thought they had God all figured out. And, and we're locked into their system and their way of doing it. And so he releases wine to totally, you know, get them, you know, out of their element. And, and what that thing does is God uses the wine because he wants to bring a demarcation. He wants to use something that's so foolish that only the hungry would, would stay in. He, so he uses this thing where people are getting drunk and rolling on the ground and laughing, and it's the Holy Spirit. And people are actually getting delivered, and they actually get set free, and they actually, people actually get saved in these, in these Holy Spirit uh, outbreaks where the predominant thing that's going on is laughing and falling. I mean, who knows how to do that? Who knows how to get souls saved in that but God? And he does. And the whole point he wanted to do is he wanted to deal with the, sort of the religious spirit in the body of Christ. He wanted to deal with men believing they knew what God uh, would do and had, believing that they had God figured out. And he uses the wine to draw a demarcation line. And literally it goes right down the center of the church. And half are in and half are offended. And some of you guys were in, uh, involved in, in the renewals of, you know, 94, 95. How many, how many were involved in that in some way? 
I remember it hit a little church over here in Lawrenceville, and I was just like, I heard there, something's happening. Lay it on me. And I went in there, and I, I had them pray for me, and, you know, it was okay. You know, I, I, you know it, it, it didn't jazz me up that much, and it wasn't my style either, honestly. I kind of went, well, but God, you know, and it just made my heart hungry, really. And then I remember going to a youth camp, and they had really been into the renewal. And I remember, you know, involuntarily on the floor laughing my guts out and thinking, God, this certainly can't be all there is. I'm laughing, but I want you, God, you know, and it was just making me hungrier and hungrier for the Lord. And so uh, he uses the wine to offend the mind, to reveal the heart of the church. And it brings a demarcation. And then shortly after that, he, he uh, takes uh, this evangelist, Steve Hill, who visits a church in England where the wine is being poured out, the, uh, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And Steve Hill, who's an Assemblies of God uh, uh, evangelist, goes to Holy Trinity Brompton, which is like a Church of England church where they're having renewal. He gets blasted comes back and speaks at a church in Pensacola, Florida, in the panhandle of Florida, and fire ignites, and that's the Brownsville Revival. And that goes from 95 to 2000, and it peaks for about three years in there, and it is heavy-duty conviction of sin. It is heavy-duty, you know, repentance-based. You know, I mean, you're going to hell if you don't get in the altar right now. And it was scary, and the fear of the Lord was on it, and the power of God was released. And, and how many had, how many experienced that, that you know, move of the Spirit? That was intense. And I, I had the fortunate opportunity to be able to speak there uh, in their youth conferences a couple times. And, and the power of God was just intense. And that kind of thing is what hit our youth ministry. It was a fire, uh, power and fire sort of uh, moving of the Spirit of God. So he said it's going to be wine, it's gonna, he's going to add to it fire, and then he's going to add to that wind. And so uh, the word on wind is this, that signs, wonders, and miracles in a dramatic dimension that the earth has never seen, unprecedented. It's the John 14, 12, greater works generation will be operating in the wind of the Spirit, and power and signs and wonders will be released, and it will actually go to stadiums. It will fill stadiums. And so the wine hits, the fire hits, but there, is, there really is no wind. And so, you know, around, you know, I would say 98, 99 is when kind of Brownsville peaked and you kind of press pause there in 98 and you end up wondering, where's the wind? Where's the signs and wonders? Where's the miracles on demand? All right, so pause on that story. So you got it, right? Bob Jones goes into trance, Joseph's dungeon, God's going to raise up the cupbearer, that's a sign of the wine, he said it's going to come with wine, fire, and wind, and then we get in 94, exactly 10 years to the date later, we get uh, the wine of the Spirit being poured out in Toronto, it also starts in in Florida in 93, and then in 94 uh, in Toronto, and then that moves to fire in Brownsville, but we don't get wind yet. Now, Paul Cain is a prophet who... um, um, Mike has told me about Paul Cain that he's uh, witnessed uh, Paul Cain give at least 10,000 accurate uh, words of knowledge. Where he would literally not just, um, you know, I just feel like, you know, 
da 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 real vague, but he would he would literally give he give he gave ten thousand accurate words of knowledge where he would actually call out the person's name or call out their address or their phone number without ever meeting them. I mean he said he goes, I've seen at least ten thousand of them accurate. He said one time, I remember he told this story, one time he said uh, there was a couple that Paul King called out, and he said, you're from Moscow. And, and Mike went, he's missing it. Unbelievable. Because he knew the couple. And he goes, they're from, you know, I don't know the place, Omaha, Nebraska, or something outside of Omaha. And he goes, he said, he's, oh, Mike's like excited, because Paul King's actually missed it once. He's like, well, unbelievable. And uh, after the meeting, Mike goes up to Paul and goes, hey, dude, you missed that one. They are not from Moscow. They are from Nebraska. He goes, no, no, the Lord spoke to me. He said, they're definitely from Moscow. He goes, no, I know them. They are not from Moscow. They are from Nebraska. He goes, let's go over and talk to him. He goes, no problem. He walks over and he goes, hey, hey, he said you guys are from Moscow, but I know for sure you're from, you're from outside of Omaha or whatever it is. That's not the right city. And he goes, well, actually, we're from a suburb. It's called Moscow. And so he's literally, Mike told me, he said, he goes, I literally witnessed him give, you know, he goes, I've been in a thousand meetings with him. You average 10 a meeting. He goes, 10,000 accurate words of knowledge all in that order. But, but I really believe Paul Cain's life is this. It's not the 10,000 words of knowledge. His life is that he's had a hundred open-eyed visions of the same event over and over and over and over. And that, that event is a, um, a stadium that's full with 100,000 people on the inside and 100,000 people on the outside. All the news media is there. He's had the same vision 100 different times. And uh, what's going on is the dead are being raised. Signs and wonders and miracles are breaking out. And, and, and salvations, um, the people that are on the platform um, he, he, he's the one that coined the phrase, are nameless and faceless. How many have ever heard nameless and faceless? That comes from the Paul Cain vision. And I believe about Paul Cain's life, and it's certainly it's broader than this, but I believe that 10,000 accurate words of knowledge testify to the accuracy of the hundred open visions. I think those are a sign unto that. And he said that he saw the news media, and he, saw, he sees newscasters, and it's actually people that he's begun to recognize and, and they're, called, they're saying, you know, uh, there's no news tonight, but good news. It's happening in stadiums all over the earth. The dead are being raised, and it it's acts like what the apostles had. And it's a nameless, fa- faceless company of people who are, who are, you know, raising the dead and healing the sick. And it's on national news. And they're going live, and, it's, and it's, it's breaking out. And he said, they're going three days without food or water or sleep. They're being supernaturally sustained on the platform. And then other crowds of, of nameless, faceless ones will come up and, and relieve them. And they'll keep going, and they're going night after night. And this is, the, this is the, the stadium vision. Well, it sounds like Bob Jones' vision, where it goes to the stadiums, and it's with wind. And so, I want to say this, that I believe... That, those words to be true words of prophecy. And I believe that the next global move of the Spirit of God we'll see will be wind. It will be signs, wonders, and miracles in a powerful way that, that we've never seen unprecedented in human history. It will come with the wind of the Spirit of God. Now, Frank DiMazio, who is a uh, pastor from the West Coast, 
when, when the Toronto move of the Spirit was going on, he said this. He said, uh, he prophesied this. He said, the wine has come to oil up the intercessors in order to build the house of prayer. He said, thus saith the Lord. The wine has come to oil up the intercessors in order to build the house of prayer. And we will waste this move of God if we don't use it to build the house of prayer around the earth. He said that in in 97, and Mike uh, plants IHOP in 99. And then here we are, 2008, and we've been going for two years, night and day. And I believe that. I believe that the revivals that we've seen, the wine and the fire, were chiefly about wrecking our hearts so we would pray. They're chiefly about getting us to the place of dissatisfied with everything that's normal. Because if you've ever been in a season of revival when the phenomenon of the presence of God has come into the place, and it's not really about a minister, it's not really about, it's just about God in the room or in the wherever, all of a sudden, you live in that for a while, and you don't want to do, do life as normal ever again anymore. I, I mean, I have a little bit of experience in that. I, I live for it was about nine months in a visitation of the Lord. And, all, and literally, as it was happening, all I cared about was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, Saturday, Sunday night. That's all I cared about, uh, you know, as far as it related to ministry. And I mean, I just, uh, you know, we used to just laugh and say, man, we're working for the weekend. That's all we care about is God's presence coming down. And, uh, and the presence of the Lord would come down so powerfully that I remember uh, many, many nights not being able to go to sleep. Because I'd be in my bed shaking and shivering, trembling under the presence of the Lord. It would be waking me, it would keep, be keeping me awake. I'd be, it was like I had an electrical current in me until 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, night after night after night. And you do that for a little while, and I promise you, you won't care about three fast, three slow, and you know, one Shandai Mahandai, and you know, let's go home. You, you really, you, you won't want another, you don't care about another good teaching. You just want Jesus, for real. And, uh, and that jacked me up. I mean, it really, it messed me up. And uh, so I believe that God's used the wine and he's used the fire. He's embarrassed us and humbled us with the wine. He's caused us to repent with the fire. And he's used all of it to oil us up that we give ourselves a night and day prayer. And we haven't quite got it yet. We got it a little bit. The prayer movement is beginning to move. It's rolling. We haven't quite got on God's agenda fully yet, but we're getting there. And the next thing that's coming is wind. Here's the thing. The thing that the Lord began to deal with me about this week was that all of a sudden I began to see something about the the move of God's spirit at the end of the age that I'd never seen before. Because I knew that there was coming great persecution on the church. I knew that there was going to be a wicked ruler that was going to arise, a man, Antichrist, a man who's called Antichrist, and he was going to demand the world's worship. But I also knew that there was going to be a great end-time outpouring that was going to happen coincidentally in the last three and a half years of this age, and I couldn't ever quite put it together. How do you get the wind and signs and wonders, stadium Christianity and Antichrist and you know, global harvest, how do all those things work together? And all of a sudden, I begin to realize that God's plan for revival at the end of the age is not one big hit, and then we're out of here. All of a sudden, I begin to realize the very thing that I've just explained to you, 
that God's strategy for end-time revival is a multi-staged onslaught of the Spirit of God that happens in different stages over long periods of time. It might be a 30 or 40 year transition. In fact, it could be a whole generation in which the understanding and expression of Christianity is completely switched. What I'm realizing is this. God has sovereign times. He has sovereign seasons of visitation. And he knows the calendar. And what what happens with us is this. We want the big one to hit, and then we just all get raptured out of here. In fact, predominantly, the mentality of those that believe that there's a great move of God coming at the end of the age, the mentality is this. There's going to be a great move of the Spirit, and then we're raptured out of here. But that doesn't hold up biblically, and here's what ends up happening to us. We go through these seasons of revival, and I know there's a few things that happen to you when you go through revival. One of three things happens. You either go through that season of revival, and when it ends, you either try to act like it's, keep, it's still going, which is just painful and pathetic and awful, because now we're shaking and we're trembling, and God's not even there. And it's just ugly. I know that sounds funny, but beloved... Okay, let's just go, let's just press pause and just go back to the time when you weren't saved and used to drink and the buzz was wearing off and you just wanted the party to keep going and you kind of just, you know, a little bit of extra with your, you know, drunkenness. I'm still drunk. No, you're sobering up. It's over. And that's what happens with the revivals. It's, they, they end up, you end up sobering up and the thing ends up ending and there's a group that goes, no, it's not ending. I'll prove it. And, and it's, it's just not God. And I understand that it's okay. I mean, it's not, it's not excellent. It's, it's okay, though, because the desire is they don't want God to leave. You know, he's, he's with us forever, but they don't want his manifest uh, presence to leave. They don't want the phenomenon to leave. And that's awful. Have you ever been in a place where there was a phenomenon of the presence of God, and then it leaves, and the people are still trying to act like the phenomenon is there? It's awful. Well, that's one thing that happens. Another group... They get so hurt by the fact that the revival is over, they go ahead and they start speaking against what had happened and they discount everything that happened and they just decide it wasn't real, it wasn't God because it ended. And that's just as painful as the other thing. And then the other thing that happens is this, and I know because I did this, people go into a complete depression because they were so believing for the home run out of the park revival and then Jesus comes back that when the thing lifts, all of a sudden it's like, what am, I have nothing else to live for. My life is over. This is awful. And they go into a depression because they have no picture of God's blueprint at the end of the age of what he's actually doing as it relates to revival. Here's the idea, guys. God is bringing a multi-phased uh, move of the Spirit of God over a generation where he's going to completely change the understanding and expression of Christianity And that multi-phased end-time revival, it started with wine in 1994. It moved to fire, and we've been on pause for about 10 years. And it's interesting to me, but could it be, maybe it is and maybe it isn't, I don't care, but it's exciting to talk about it. But could it be that what's happening in Lakeland isn't it yet, but it's the beginnings of the wind? Could it be? 
You know, and they, uh, Todd Bentley and my friend Jim Drown have both had this angel appear to them called, and he, the angel said, I am called Winds of Change. And so the whole uh, message of this revival now is winds. They're saying it's the winds of God changing everything. And I just think that's just so interesting. 84, God gives Bob Jones the word. We get a 10-year pause, then we get wine. The wine turns into fire, and then we get this, what appears to me now, like a 10-year pause. And could it be that winds are just beginning to blow? Now, it's interesting to me because it didn't even dawn on me. While I was praying this afternoon, like, Lord, am I hearing you or am I missing you? Like, what's the deal? Like, I don't want to get up there and say stuff that's not you, Lord, and I don't want to tell stories and just be interesting and say what ifs. But uh, all day today, the wind has been blowing ridiculous. I mean, it's blowing right now. I, I, I pulled up and looked at the trees. and It was going, I said, wait a minute. That's right, my whole, sh- my whole house was shaking because the wind was blowing so hard today. And, and I decided Tuesday that I was gonna speak on this. I didn't decide, hey, there's wind happening today. I'm gonna preach on the wind. I decided Tuesday that I was gonna speak on this or, or Wednesday, whenever it was, and I said it to the staff so the staff can all uh, verify that I said, I'm gonna speak on the revival at the end of the age. Uh, and I said it to the staff in one of our intercession meetings. And you look out the door and I don't remember a day when it's been windy like this all day in a year, in two years. I mean, I I can't remember the last time it's been windy like this. I was just looking, I was looking at the trees blowing, blowing, blowing. I said, Lord, you're, you're doing this, aren't you? And I believe the Lord, I believe it's possible. Let me just say it that way. I believe it's possible that we could be at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the wind. We could be at the beginning of the wind. And if we're at the beginning of the wind, we've got about three or four years. It's going to be so cool. Because we're going to go to the stadiums with hundreds of thousands of people getting born again. It's going to happen all over the globe. It's going to be nameless and faceless. I believe that that wind, move the Spirit, is the fulfillment of the Paul Kane prophecy. I believe that is uh, stadium Christianity breaking out across the planet. But here's, well, let me tell you this. Now, I don't want to get your hopes up and make you feel upset. But uh, the wind dimension of the move of the Spirit isn't the final outpouring. Because this thing, beloved, is going to a global open heaven with signs and wonders on demand, with martyrdom breaking out at the highest measure ever, with judgment events hitting the planet at, at the same time, and with the bride of Christ operating fully in the spirit of Elijah, fully in the, the uh, Joel 2, it shall come to pass, outpouring of the spirit, signs and wonders and miracles on demand. And that is going to happen at the end of the age for three and a half years. We have a global open, this thing is going to a global open heaven, not just a good stadium event, but it really is going to a harvest of a billion plus souls at the time of the greatest crisis the earth has ever seen. Those two realities actually converge at the end of the age. And here's the beauty of it. This is what I think is going to happen with the wind. I believe the Lord is going to use the wind. He's going to use stadium Christianity. He's going to get the attention of the world. I mean, hundreds of thousands will get born again, maybe millions if 10 million get born again, maybe, maybe 50 million get born again. That's not a billion. It's a big swirl, but it's not a billion. I'm believing for a billion. 
In fact, I'm not just believing for a billion souls. I'm believing not just for fire in the meetings. I'm believing for fire in the sky when the Lord Jesus returns. That's what I'm in for. But maybe we get 25 million born again with the wind. But think about this, and then it ends. So then what do we do after we've all been wrecked with the wind? And then God presses pause again. What do you think is going to happen in a global measure when God brings the wind and then the wind subsides? One of three things. We're going to act like we still got the wind. We're going to act like the wind didn't really happen. Or we're going to get into depression. You know the cool thing about depression? It's not too different from mourning. And God can shift your depression right into intercession. And I am, I am believing this, that God is about to take the wind. And if it's this thing in Lakeland, great. And if it's not, great, because it doesn't matter, because I think God's going to do it anyway. But he's going to use the wind to get the attention of the world. Thousands and thousands and thousands are going to get saved and healed. Millions are going to get saved and healed. But that is not the final outpouring. The final outpouring is coming in the last three and a half years. And here's what has to happen. The bowls of incense before the throne of God have to be totally full of prayer before any seals are opened on the scroll that has God's action plan for the end of the age. Those bowls of incense before the throne have to be completely full. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that. How does God get the bowls of incense full? He gets a hundred million intercessors to give themselves to this reality night and day unto seeing the bowls of incense full unto Jesus Christ, the king of the ages, popping the first seal and the second seal and opening the end time events. Now I want to show you something. Revelation chapter 12. Turn over there with me. I'm not, I'm not uh, postulating that the greatest revival is going to happen in the last three and a half years. I've got verses on it. And then once you get the verses, all of a sudden the thing begins to line up. I think God's going to release wind. I think he's going to take us to the stadiums. I think he's going to get the attention of the world on us. I think he's going to use apostolic ministry all over the globe. I think Christianity is going to be at a height it's never been at before. And then I think he's going to press pause again to get the intercession fired up to fill the bowls. I think he's going to marry the prayer movement to the stadium events. And what's going to end up happening is when he presses pause on the move of the Spirit of God, all those people that get rocked in that last, uh, that wind move of the Spirit of God, they're going to find themselves in night and day prayer because it's going to be all that they've got left. I tell you what, if you can live in wine and that ruins you for prayer, or you can live in fire and that ruins you for prayer, what happens when you live in wind? You're going to get ruined for prayer. And God has to have it because he's going to raise up an entire army, 100 million, I believe, in the earth, who will fill the bowls before the throne of God with intercessions unto the final outpouring of the Spirit of God, until the judgment events hit the earth, until the return of the Lord Jesus to the planet. And look at this in Revelation chapter 12. Maybe I should turn over there. Revelation 12, you have this unique picture of this dragon who appears and he's trying to devour this male child. And the male child is called to rule the nations. That's Jesus. The dragon is Satan. 
And then the Lord gives us this eschatological window, and he, and he throws out this 1,260 days. And I can't go into all the verses on it, but when you see 1,260 days, that's talking about the last three and a half years of this age. Verse 6, he brings us to that. And then he says in the, this, at the 1,260-day mark, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Verse 8, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Let me just say this. At a glimpse, that would appear to talk about when Lucifer was cast uh, from heaven to the earth by God. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 describe that same thing. But I want to tell you that Revelation 12 is not talking about the historical event when Lucifer was cast out of the third heaven. It's talking about a future event when Lucifer will be cast out of the second heaven realm that he imposes his leadership upon the earth. The way that we know that, it's not when God cast Lucifer out of heaven, is because God isn't the one that's casting Lucifer out of heaven in Revelation 12. Michael and his angels are. If Michael and his angels are casting Lucifer out of heaven, that is not the same as God casting Lucifer out of heaven. Let me give you this, uh, just a little bit of eschatology. There is no way when Lucifer sins and he decides he's going to exalt himself above God, there's no way there's now a war going on to see who gets control of heaven. Lucifer isn't sort of like the heavyweight contender and God is like, you know, just a few power points stronger than him and they've got to sort of fight. In the moment that Lucifer decided he wanted to exalt himself and be just like God, in the moment that that little speck of darkness appeared in Lucifer, he was instantaneously banished from the presence of the Lord without an if, and, or a but about it. Our great God is so much higher and so much more superior than any level of his creation. The moment that any rebellion showed up in Lucifer, that moment was the moment he was completely banished. There was no war. There was no fight. It was, oh, you're, gonna ascend, you're trying to ascend above me? You're gone. It was that fast. It was a millisecond. I mean, it was gone. he was gone. And the third of the angels that were on his side were gone too. There was no war. At this future time, Michael and his angels actually wage war against Satan and his angels. There's actually a war going on in the heavenly realms between uh, angelic entities and demonic entities. Satan himself and Michael himself are fighting and waging war. And what happens is this, Michael and his angels prevail over Satan and they cast Satan out of the heavenly realm into the earth. Now principalities and powers, they rule from the second heavens. They've been cast out of the abode of God, but they rule and they govern the earth from the second heavens. Here's the deal. When Michael fights against Satan in the second heavens and removes him from the second heaven and casts Satan and all the angels from the heavenly realm to the earth, that ends up with a global open heaven. 
There's no more demons in the heaven. The Bible says there'll be no more place found for them in the heavens at all. They're all cast down to the earth. So if every principality over every city in the earth is now removed from that governmental place of authority over those cities, and that principality is now cast to the planet, it's no longer got authority in the the heavenlies, it's simply on the earth, and the heavens are completely open in every principality, in every city, over, over all the earth. If all those are removed and the heavens are completely open, you end up with, beloved, a global open heaven. The thoroughfare between God and the earth is untested, uncontested. The power of God reigns in, and that's why the voice comes from heaven and says this. Then I heard a loud voice saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night. He has been cast down. Salvation, strength, The kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. When the kingdom of God comes at this time, that's the beginning of the last three and a half years of this age. And when the kingdom of God comes at this time, it's gonna come through believers all over the earth in a global measure, and there's gonna be an open heaven all over the globe. What does that equal? Massive revival all over the earth, in every city, in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, at the end of the age, there's going to be such a great conflict because there's going to be judgment events raining down. There's going to be the rage of Satan on the earth. And there's going to be the power of God let loose. There's going to be false signs and wonders. And let me just tell you this. The false signs and wonders are not the first strike of signs and wonders. They are the, the enemy trying to counterfeit what God's already going to be doing in the earth at that time. He's a counterfeiter. He doesn't come up with anything new. He always tries to come up with something to offset what God's already doing. There's going to be such power going on from the kingdom of God that the enemy's going to have to come up with false signs and wonders like he's never done before just to try to offset the power of the presence of God that's happening in the earth. The kingdom of God is going to come. The earth is going to experience a global open heaven. Massive signs and wonders and revival are going to break out. And it's in the last three and a half years of this age that this thing is going to be happening all over the earth in a global measure. And what am I trying to say is this. It starts with wine. It moves to fire. Wind is coming. Wind is coming. And maybe wind is now. And wind is going to take us to the stadiums. But I believe the wind is going to join millions and millions and millions to the prayer movement unto birthing this global spiritual conflict. There's a massive spiritual war coming between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. And Michael and his angels will prevail. And you're going to end up with not just a little something happening at the airport in Lakeland. You're going to end up with something happening all over the globe. Beloved, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. You know what the beauty of it is? The beauty of it is this. If something explodes in Lakeland and goes all over the place, sweet. We do night and day prayer and we get extra revival meetings. If nothing happens, sweet. We do night and day prayer until we get extra revival meetings. And then if we get the wind and we go to the stadiums, we do night and day prayer and do some stadium meetings. And then when the stadium meetings end, you know what we get to do? Nine-day prayer. How sweet. And then we do nine-day prayer until Michael casts the devil out of the heavenlies and we get a global open heaven. Yeah, we'll have to give our lives for Jesus, but I'm telling you, it's coming at the greatest time the church will have ever seen, ever. 
Y'all didn't like that part. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be martyrs. Who cares? That's where this is going. That's really where this is going. And so how, what does it equal for us? It equals this. If the thing in Lakeland blows up and goes global, sweet. If it ends in three weeks, sweet. It's a smaller swirl. It's not the wind we're looking for, but it's good. It's what we pray for and believe for anyway. If it hits Atlanta and takes our city, great. If it doesn't, we keep going. The point is that we have a picture of where this thing is heading at the end of the age. If I lost you with a little of the Revelation 12, just get the CD, listen to it, get the verses, meditate on it, figure out what that voice is saying when he says, now salvation has come, now the kingdom of our God has come, now the power of his Christ has come. What's he talking about? He's talking about what's happening on the earth when Satan and his angels are cast out of the heavenly realm and there's a global open heaven. Can you imagine a global open heaven? Have you ever felt like a little portal of the presence of the Lord? Like, you know, you're like sort of walking around. And you go, hey, it's, ooh, it's a little something happening right there. Sort of like an open, you know, just a, a portal. Ah, it feels good right there. I don't know. Yeah, oh, no, it's cold out here and warm in here. Ah, I like that. Imagine the warm in here all over the planet. Imagine that. Signs, wonders, miracles on demand. See, because God's got to bring us to the place where we're prophesying the release of the seals. And when we're multiplying bread, when global famine hits, we're going to be multiplying bread, beloved. We're not going to be getting a few people healed in a, in a big meeting. We're going to be multiplying bread. We're, you know what I'm saying? We're going to be, people are going to be going to the throne and coming down and having heavenly revelation in such a dramatic uh, measure because of what the enemy is going to be doing, God is going to be doing such even such a greater realities than that. This thing is going to a place you and I have never dreamed of. I promise you, it's not just a few stadium events. It's not three good years of stadium revival. It's not Brownsville times 10. It's going to this. The church in the earth will be a miracle, signs, and wonders uh, on demand church with a spirit of prayer in harmony with the Holy Spirit at the end of the age, crying out, prophesying the end time judgments, moving in power, seeing not just a million, not five million, a billion souls globally brought into the kingdom of God. A billion souls don't come in through one little stadium event or even stadium events around the earth. It has, has to happen with a global open heaven. That's where this thing is going, beloved. We are in such a beautiful unique, unusual time. Oh, I love what's happening in Lakeland and oh, I want it to be the wind. And maybe it is. That wind's still blowing outside. But if it's not, we still do prayer night and day. And if it is, we still do prayer night and day. We're doing the right thing at the right time. Oh, how did you find your way in here? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I call it, you know, you know magooing into a thing. You just bumble into it like magoo. Come on, let's just stand. That was about two and a half messages. I should have given it to you in three different sessions, but we have the conference next week, and I just, who knows? Maybe something's going to happen at the conference. It could. Go back, get the CD, listen to it again. Follow, try to follow it that time, next time. Listen online. You can download it. We'll have it up. We'll have it up online. Download it.
Come, Holy Spirit. God, we want the wind. We want the winds of change. We want the wind of your spirit in Atlanta. We want the outpouring of a healing, signs, wonders, and miracles. God, we're a hungry people. We are a hungry people. Here we are on Pentecost, on Mother's Day. Here we are. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Send the wind. God, we're desperate for a breakthrough. We're desperate for revival in our city. We are desperate for a move of the Spirit of God. We're desperate for reality, God. But we don't want to hype a thing, but we want your presence. We want your Spirit to come. God, I'm asking that you would break in with power. God, we're looking for the wind of your Spirit. What you started with wine, what you moved to fire. You're going to add wind to it, God. We desire you to come. We long for you to come. Would you come? Would you come? Oh, God, I pray our hearts to be fastened to the, to the truth of your word. Our hearts to be fastened to prayer and intimacy. God, even in the midst of every kind of swirl that's coming. Because we're not just looking for the day that fire fills our meetings. We're looking for the day that fire fills the sky. The Lord Jesus comes and returns to the planet. He establishes his kingdom on the earth. God, we're looking for that last three and a half years. Global open heaven.